The reading this morning is taken from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, and it can be found on page 194 of the New Testament section of the Church Bibles. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, I want to start by showing you a little irreverent book that I've got. Um, And it's a book by the comedian Milton Jones. And it's called Ten Second Sermons, which always makes me laugh because they are irreverent. But they also um, make me reflect as well. So I'm going to give you four ten-second sermons before you get the fifth sermon, which is mine. Um, So here's the first one on salvation. Salvation is like being returned to factory settings, but you have to admit there is a factory and that there could be some settings. Secondly, one on God. God is Calvin Klein. We are pants. (laughs) Third one on cliches. We need to get rid of religious cliches. Amen. And then the final one on the church, which links to my talk this morning. The church. Of course, there are bound to be some conflicts of interest when you're part of a self-help group for unselfishness. I really like that one. It made made me think. It's probably better than my talk. So today, on Christian Unity Sunday, we're going to look at the Philippian passage that's just been beautifully read for us in three parts. First, we're going to look at how united we stand in Christ's love. United we stand in Christ's love. Secondly, we're then going to look at how Jesus shows us the way of humility, not selfish ambition. He shows us the way of humility. And then finally, we'll finish with how we can have an inner life that grows unity. So first of all, united we stand in Christ's love. Um, I'd love if you if you're able to have a look at the um, passage in front of you. It's on page 194 of the the Pew Bibles. And the what we see here in Philippians is that the Philippians themselves were loved dearly by Paul. He and Silas they went through an awful lot. They went through a lot of pain to preach the gospel to the Philippians and to establish that church in Philippi. And in this letter from him to the Philippian church, we can see that it gave him great joy to remember them, remember that partnership and fellowship that that he has with them in the gospel. And so much of this letter is about what it is to be a united body of believers living in the light of God's love. And in his letter to them, Paul sets out the attitude that he wants them to have, the attitude that he's encouraging them um, to desire. 
And what you can see in chapter 1, verse 27, again, it's on that page 194, is he wants their attitude, their lives to be a light around them. He wants them to bring faith, hope, and love to all that they meet. And he says in verse 27, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he then continues this encouragement, this this challenge in verse 1 of of chapter 2. And if we look at it together, you can see how he builds that to a glorious description of the example of Christ, which is from verse 5 onwards. And Paul begins in this verse 1 of chapter 2 by stating that if they have any of these things, and he knows that they, do, that they do. He knows the Philippian church. He knows them. He says, if you have any of these things, then you need to act in a certain way. So it goes like this. If you, if you follow it through, it goes, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, that is, does being a Christian, believing in the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, Any encouragement in Christ? Does it encourage you in your day-to-day life, knowing that you are forgiven, encouraging you to press on? And he knows that the answer of the Philippians would have been, yes, it does, yes. If any consolation from love. Do you get any comfort from the Father's love, from the love of Abba Father, who knows every hair on your head and treasures, treasures us? Does the love of God embrace you in the darkest moments of life? He knows that the resounding answer to that question from the Philippians is yes. If any sharing in the Spirit, that is, do you believe the Holy Spirit is in you, um, bringing sin to life, empowering you in the work of the Lord, bringing you into God's family? Again, he knows the answer of the Philippians would have been yes. If any compassion and sympathy, has the love of Christ melted your hard hearts, making you aware of other people's and their needs? He knows the Philippians would have said yes, yes, yes. And so he says, if the answer to these questions is yes, then a response is required. And if the answer for us is yes to that as well, then I think a response from us is required. And and then Paul outlines this response in, in clarity thereafter. He says to those who believe, he says, be of the same mind have the same love. Be in full accord and of one mind. In humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Look to the interests of others. And then finally in verse 5, have the same mind as Christ Jesus. And so if our answer to these ifs is yes, then the call for us is to be united. United in mind, united in heart, united in in purpose. And the phrase in verse 2 that you see there, be of the same mind, because it comes after describing what they receive from Christ in verse verse 1, it seems to show that he wants to bring their thinking, he wants their thinking to be in line with the gospel. He wants them to fix their minds together on Jesus, not themselves, to be united in their faith and in their motivations. I think he's showing them that they and we have a common ground of unity grounded in faith. We share that truth and we are on that journey of faith together. Those of us here this morning in Sheffield, 
in our country and around the world. We are gathering on that journey of faith together with a common ground of faith. And I was struck with how Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, 21. He says that they may all be one. That they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We're all in the same family. We are one, Jesus says, even if at times we don't feel like it or act like it. And Paul elsewhere uses the analogy of of the body. We see that in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Paul is saying, if we believe, we are one. We are one body, one family, united. And I was really struck as I was studying verse 2, where Paul uses the word, he uses the words, being in full accord. And the phrase in Greek literally means united souls, full accord, united souls, people who have the same desires, the same passions, ambitions, that shared purpose. And I think brothers and sisters of, of All Saints, Ecclesall, we have that. We know God's love. And we know that we are asked to show that love to others, to pass that love to the world and, and make disciples of all nations. We have that shared purpose. We are united by love. And again, we see in verse 2, having the same love. We are to have the same love for one another that Christ had for us. And we can see the depth of, of Christ's love for us beautifully described later in this chapter. In verse 8, it shows us that God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to humble himself on earth and become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross for you and me. And so that bond of love unites us, it binds us together. We are to have the love for one another that God has for us. And as I was um, praying through this passage and reflecting on it this week, it struck me again that this message wasn't for one group. This, this message of unity and united souls wasn't for one group, one cohort of people, but for everyone. Jesus came, the fulfillment of his promise was for everyone, for all who believe. He came to establish his kingdom. And that's one where all social barriers were broken down, all racial and ethnic barriers are broken down. There's no Jew or Gentile. His kingdom is one where there will be no discrimination. There is no insider or outsider in the family of God. There is one family. We are all children of God, loved by a loving Father. So there we have it. United we stand in Christ's love. Let's now move on to verses 3 and 4 and, and part 2. Jesus shows us the way of humility not selfish ambition. And we see this in verses 3 and 4. If you look at it with me, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition um, or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. 
And so here what we're seeing is Paul passionately urging the Philippian church, and by extension us, to live out this unity in a completely extraordinary way of looking at one another with the assumption that everybody else and their needs are more important than ours are. We're to put others first and to lay aside those urges we feel of selfish ambition. And I do think that the attitude of selfish ambition, putting ourselves first, is probably the most basic sin of all, to get our way, to get exactly what we want, whether or not it helps or is right for other people. I don't know about you, but I I know what this is. It's when we have that attitude of wanting the world to revolve around us and around our own wishes and and desires. And maybe it's because I'm a a dad, but I I think the selfish way often starts as a child. Um, Daniel's not here, so I can can use this example, but a child's favourite word is often mine or no. And even though Daniel, our eldest, is now 11, I can still remember him being two years old like it was yesterday. And he was really good at using two words constantly. I think they must have been his, his first two words. And they were, no, daddy. No, daddy. And I can remember when it was like, Daniel, it's time to stop playing. Stop playing with those trains and have lunch. And it'd be, no, daddy. Time for a bath. No, daddy. It's time to clean your teeth. No, daddy. And I remember if a little friend came to play and picked up one of his toys, one of his favorite trains. He could move like Usain Bolt in order to snatch it back with a shout of mine. No. Until one of us would get there, Clara and I would get there with, I don't know why it's been like this. Please, Daniel. Daniel, be patient. He normally takes turns wonderfully. Share. And I do think it's interesting that here the selfish desire, selfish ambition in the King James Version here is actually translated as strife. And so there will always be, I think, division and strife and a lack of unity when we focus on our own selfish desires to the exclusion of others. And looking at myself, I'm not sure we get that much better as adults. I I think we get better at hiding it, but do we get better? And so I think it's clear here that Paul is challenging and encouraging the Philippian church members to carefully examine their own attitudes because he knew that when we hold on to attitudes that only look out for our own personal interests, our own selfish ambition, then we won't bring faith, hope and love to those around us, but we'll bring strife, we'll bring hurt, we might bring division. And so Paul was saying, don't think of yourself as as higher than you are. And I've been reflecting a lot on this this week, and I... I don't think humility here means that we're putting ourselves down, but rather we are lifting others up. And I came across the phrase whilst I was studying this, which I really liked, which was, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. And I think there's something in that. But clearly, as as we see in the Gospel of John chapter 3, the goal is that Jesus Christ increases and that we decrease. And we need to show that humility. And I, and I think it's right that at that point, Paul moves on to the perfect example of the attitude we should have. And of course, it's that of Christ. And if we just go to that verse beyond what was read for us, verse 5, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. And then Paul inserts in verses 5 to 11 that beautiful poem or, or, or hymn 
at the heart of this letter, which is a statement of the Christian faith in who Jesus was and and what he accomplished. Verse 7, he emptied himself. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even even death on a cross. Verse 8, and that was Jesus' attitude whilst on earth. Jesus didn't ever stand on the sidelines, reveling in his position, but he, he compassionately served all those around him. He set the perfect example as a human being. In John 13, we see that he washed his disciples' feet. By being a servant, Jesus' life shone. He had a love and a compassion for those in society that nobody else cared about, the lepers and the prostitutes. What an example. And of course, he made the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus' influence through love He reached out in love even to those that ridiculed him and and abused him. So we've seen here that Jesus shows us the way of humility, not selfish ambition. And of course that brings unity, that shared unity to those that we know and don't know around us. And so on to my, my final point, which is how can we have an inner life that grows unity? How can we possibly have the same attitude of love that grows this unity of humility, of servanthood, of forgiveness, of of putting others first, of, of not demanding what's rightfully ours, of pouring ourselves out in love? Well, I know that as I've examined myself this week, it's not in our own strength. We don't do it in our, our, our own strength. I know I can't do this myself because I know... When I look at myself, whether it be um, in my family or at work, how easy I find it, either outwardly or inwardly, to criticise others or to doubt people's motives or to have um, a cynical word in my mind um, and to put my own selfish desires above the the needs of others. I don't have to look further than myself. And I I smiled at myself this week um, when I was going to work and uh, I was at the train station because I I often go to Leeds or London. I was was in London on Wednesday and Leeds on Thursday. And I realised I know exactly where to stand um, to be in the right place by the doors to get on the train first against the wishes of others. I even know how to angle my body slightly to the side to prevent people getting past me when the others have got off. I don't, I, I, you know, I, I look around at these innocents who don't know where the door is going to be and think, pity them, pity them, especially when it's a nine-carriager and it's been reduced to four, as it was this week. And I don't know whether you know, but um, there is even a book written by a military strategist on how to position yourself on the London tube to get a seat at the expense of others. And having lived in London for 25 years, I I realised that I just do it without even thinking about it now. But I was kind of smiling at myself this week, and it's mildly funny. But if in that microcosm, there's an attitude there that sums up our lives, then it's not what Paul taught us this morning. It's not about putting others first. It's about getting our way. So in order for the Holy Spirit to empower us to live like Jesus, I've just thought of a couple of things that we can do and things that I've been trying to do this week. And I think the the first thing is to pray. Jesus always maintained a perfect attitude in 
in every situation, I think, because he, he prayed about everything. Prayer was his lifeline. He sought his father's guidance about every aspect of his life. He had that communication channel always open. And in prayer, we can ask for forgiveness for where we've got it wrong. And of course, he is faithful and just and, and will forgive us. We don't need to feel condemned. And also in prayer, we can bring others' needs before our Father. We can bring local needs, national needs, international needs to our Father. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he will act in us and them. And I don't know about you, but I know that when I pray for others, those that I know well, those that I don't know, strangers to me, God grows my heart for other people. Love isn't finite. He can keep growing our love. And when we pray for people, especially that we don't like or don't particularly get on with in our community, it is remarkable how he will use us and our unity will be strengthened. I, I have a prayer journal that I try to fill out every day, but I, I don't get around really to doing it every day, but I try and keep it as well as I can. And when I look back in it, as I've looked back in it again recently, I can see how God has answered those prayers where I've prayed about others and ask my heart to grow um, and understand where others are coming from. And so we can pray. And the second thing I think we can do is submit our attitudes and our thoughts to God. You see, our thoughts lead to attitudes and our attitudes can lead to habitual action. So if we allow our thoughts to focus on things that are cynical or critical or is opposite of what we see Paul ask of us here, then I think eventually that will shape our attitudes and then that will maybe affect what we say and do as well and, and bring strife and not unity. So I think it's important for us to reflect on our thought life and attitude and then submit them to God. When writing to the Corinthians, Paul said, take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to us this morning about specific thoughts and attitudes we hold that don't always encourage unity and don't always bring the love of Christ to others. And so to finish, the wonderful truth is that our Father in heaven honours actions when we step out to love others and to bring unity. When we take baby steps to be humble, to serve others, to pray for others, to encourage others, to bless others and not focus on our own interests, to love those around us, to pour ourselves out, he will always be there with us, strengthening us. Because united we stand, part of one body, one family, united souls, encouraged by and enveloped by the love of Christ. Amen.